0: Hello everybody, I'm Tim Harrington. Welcome to Wide Wonder's Get On The Bus Podcast, where we try very hard every day to think lightly of ourselves and deeply of the world. Our mission here on the podcast is to talk about addiction and mental injury stigma. Why? (laughs) Because stigma holds everything back. Stigma is everywhere. It's in policies, it's in doctor's offices, in individuals even those suffering from addiction and mental injury and it just holds everything back it holds back needle exchanges even though for decades studies have repeatedly found that needle exchanges help prevent the spread of disease such as hiv and hep c that can spread through used syringes while not increasing overall drug use it holds back widespread adoption of medication assisted treatment despite all the empirical evidence that it's effective medications are considered the gold standard care for opioid addiction yet they're rejected because people addicted to drugs are still being blamed for their condition stigma holds back context for how people end up becoming addicted or having bipolar or depression stigma holds back people understanding the difference between dependence and addiction it's time that we understand very simply the differences between those two. Stigma holds back family healing. It holds back compassion and empathy, two of the most important tools we have when dealing with addiction and mental illness. My guest today is Frank King. I came to know about Frank through LinkedIn Frank and I are both very enthusiastic about the challenges and successes that arise around mental health, including stigma, among other things. When I was reading Frank's LinkedIn profile, I saw that he wrote for The Tonight Show, which I have a very strong connection to. And more importantly, I was completely intrigued how he seemed to not seem to, how he does combine his natural ability for comedy, which you'll hear, with the otherwise unfunny topics of depression and suicide. This combination has led him to create some really great TED Talks with the titles of Born to be Funny, The Mental Health Comedian, and Suicide, The Secret to My Success, Dead Man Talking love that I'm excited to learn how Frank came to the decision to make this his life's work essentially combining depression and comedy and how he decided to take this all the way to cruise line comedy shows going into corporations to talk to them about mental health. I'm just excited to learn more about Frank and his background. And I'm really thankful that you're here to share in this conversation with Frank and I, and as always on the get on the bus podcast, we hope that it leads you to perhaps a new way to look at mental health. And most of all, even help you to talk about depression openly and even suicide openly with your friends and loved ones. What we know without a doubt is that no matter how hard it feels talking about these subjects, it is our best defense. So thank you again, Frank, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So this was sort of a fast and furious relationship. Here we are. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. It was an awful one-night stand, but we're stuck with each other now. So, And
0: I'm happy about
1: that. Yes, I'm happy about that.
0: <laughs> especially after listening to your, uh, to your TED Talk, A Matter of Life and Death. I really love that title. The talk was really impactful um, in a lot of ways, but especially thinking about how some of the things you said really must have made people feel uncomfortable and squirm in their seats. <laughs> That's my
1: job, Timothy. Well,
0: certainly, and, and you have de- you definitely have that down, and I think, you know, what was it like for you in the moment of doing that live? Did you sense the angst? Can you sense that from the audience?
1: No, it was my first TED Talk, and so I, I was terrified. Yeah. Been doing a stand-up forever, and I have did uh, one summer. There was two shows in an amphitheater in Michigan, 5,000 people per show opening for Randy Travis. Wow. I, I did that, I didn't even blank. I mean, I never even breathed hard. And But to get on stage, and the comics will tell you, because I'm a comedian by trade, Yep. most of them only get nervous when it's going to be on video. And you can't stop, you can't back up. It's not like a live show where you can go, oh man, I forgot the funny part. <laughs> and back up. And so I was so focused on getting the story out. Right. It was the first time I'd ever told anybody any of that. Matter of fact, when it posted on YouTube, my wife's about to hit play. And I said, look, before you hit play, we need to we need to have a chat because there's a lot of stuff in there that you have no idea. You're not aware of. Wow. She didn't know how depressed I was. She didn't know that I'd come close enough that I could tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like.
0: How long had you been together at that point to give it some context?
1: Okay, let's see. That was uh, 2010, eight years ago. We've been married 31. So it'd be 23 years married, probably 25 years together. Amazing. Yeah, but you know, it's it, people who have mental illness oftentimes uh, cover covered up. Oh, and yeah. and yeah. Uh, I've often said that, you know, also we're great actors. There's a reason that I've, got, that I've got a screen actor's guilt card. Right. Because I'm really, <laughs> I'm really good at it. Yes. Yes, People ask me, uh, are you a good actor? Well, I acted like I was happily married to my first wife for almost five <laughs> years. What do you think? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, all that stuff coming at, coming out as it were well, yeah. for me. And right. it was, I've had, I've actually lost a gig because somebody that wanted to hire me to come in and speak on mental health, saw my, saw the matter of laugh or death. And, and it's, it's me raw on mental illness uh, I didn't know their safe language. Yeah. I said committed suicide instead of died by suicide. Right. You know? right. And so they, they didn't I said, Well look at the next one. Look at my next TED talk. It's much nicer.
0: <laughs> yes. Watch my follow up.
1: Yeah, my demo is much, you know, my demo I demo I use safe language and, and Yeah. I, I was delighted I did it. I was trying to make the transition from comedian to speaker. Yeah. You know, from, from funny speaker to speaker who was funny. And so the nice thing about TEDx, because people always ask, is TEDx making any money? No, but it, it has certain cachet. Right. And it gave me street cred as a serious speaker, because it's a very serious topic.
0: That's for sure. And that and that kind of brings me to the next to, to segue on that. You know, the one of the things that intrigued me, like I like I mentioned in my introduction, was that when I saw that you had combined you know these comedy with these these taboo topics, suicide and depression, and I really appreciate that. I'm a iconoclast at heart, and I love the idea of juxtaposition, and it's really powerful. and Can you talk a little bit about how you decided that that's what you were going to do? Like, what led you to this this TED talk where you were willing to kind of really go out there on a limb in a way?
1: Well, let's talk about that. the juxtaposition of comedy and. And talking about depression and suicide. I spoke this morning to we live in Lane County, which is in Oregon. We live outside of Eugene. Okay. I spoke to the Lane County behavioral health people. Right. And there were fifty people in the room and all, you know, there are peer counselors and there were staff members. And I often opened up by saying, Okay, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is a comedian talking about depression (laughs) and suicide. How does that work? (laughs) Yep. I said, Well, here's the deal. Here's my standard you know, pitch on that is that comedian. I think is a good choice. A couple of reasons: one, the comedian's job is and has been since the time of the court jester to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless. Yes. So I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those often, you know, locked in its grip. Yep. Number two, where it's humor, there's hope. Where there's laughter, there's life. Nobody dies laughing. Right. And I say, and. Depression and suicide run in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother mother and I, when I was four years old, found her. And I came close enough to dying in 2010 that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Yeah. Uh, The second thing, Timothy, that often comes up is, is there anything funny about mental illness, depression, suicide? No, there's nothing funny about any of those things. However, there is humor. Yeah. I, I said, you know, I did a keynote where I mentioned that I came close enough to dying that I know what the barrel of my gun tastes like. And I say to the audience, spoiler alert, didn't pull the trigger. And yeah, and there's a laugh there. And then a friend of mine who was in the audience, I didn't know he was there. He came up afterwards. He goes, Hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? And I think I mentioned this in my TED talk. Yes. Goes, yeah. How come you didn't pull the trigger? I said, Could you try to sound a little less disappointed? That's right. So it's not only that a comedian is doing, you know, talking about depression and suicide, it's, it's, it it puts people's back up a bit. Yeah. You know, because it's nothing funny. And I've had people, and I'll post something and I'll get somebody to comment on a Facebook post. You know, there's nothing funny about depression and suicide. Granted. Um, Here's a rule in comedy, by the way. You can make fun of any group to which you belong. That's right. So I've been busted on Facebook. Like, you're making fun of people with mental illness. Well, here's the deal. Right. I'm a card-carrying, dues-paying member. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. No, I love that. It's not lost on me that, you know, how how powerful comedy is in delivering truths, if you will. I mean, there's no real surprise, I think, to you and me how successful Jon Stewart has been in delivering, as a comedian, the news, right? I mean... No it makes perfect sense. So I really appreciate that. I'm also a card carrying member. I'm 17 years in long-term recovery, co-occurring depression, anxiety. And so, you know, I come by this honestly. It's like when I coach people, I always say like, you're here honestly. And I know that's hard for a lot of people when they're in the mixture of it to recognize that and how powerful it is that we get here very honestly in terms of our life experience and what we're struggling with. So, Speak a little bit about I love coffee and you mentioned coffee. You mentioned caffeine, love it. So many of us love it. And you mentioned caffeine as a coping mechanism in your talk, and I love that. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and also about some of the other ways that you cope with your uh with your depression.
1: Yes, coffee, I actually coined a phrase, coffee is the mother's milk of motivation. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, and I, I do like coffee. I actually um coffee is one of the ways I cope. Yep. I I I have another condition called excessive daytime sleepiness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. it's um, okay. You don't hear much about it, but it's when I get up in the morning, and I have a cup of coffee or two, and then I get in the car. Within 10 minutes of being behind the wheel, even though I've had a good night's sleep and a couple of cups of coffee, I begin to get sleepy. All
0: right.
1: And, and in year 2000 in California, I was coming home from an engagement in Orange County. I headed back to San Diego from Orange County, going down 565 miles an hour. And I, I, I was eating a bagel. I thought you can't fall asleep eating, by the way, is not true. And <laughs> I fell asleep at the wheel. Wow. And I woke up a few seconds later and I, I was driving an old Forerunner and I oversteered left because I had no idea where I was. I oversteered right and I put it into a roll and it rolled over twice going 65 miles an hour. Wow. Well, the old Forerunners, I don't know if you recall, back in the 80s had a roll bar in the back. Okay. That's the only thing that saved me. And unfortunately, right. the other thing that saved me was I was at a spot on I five. There, there were no other cars, and I wasn't near a bridge abutment. I just knocked down a little wire fence and landed wheels down. Engine still running, radio still on. And there were two highway patrolmen, no, two border patrolmen coming up the other way in a car. And and, and one of them said to the other one because they came over to see if I was alive. Yeah. One said to the other one, as they're going the other way, going north. There's no exit there.
0: <laughs>
1: so, oh man yeah so i i they came over they called the highway patrol highway patrolman comes up and i'm i'm chewing and he goes would you please spit out your gum and i said it's a bagel i think i'll finish it <laughs> Which he realized i wasn't drunk i was just stupid so uh, yeah. in, in california you have to take a sleep test if you fall asleep at the wheel because they yeah. figured you may have narcolepsy or apnea yeah. Turns out, no narcolepsy, no apnea. It's a second cousin of narcolepsy called excessive daytime sleepiness. The reason I tell you all of that is there's a wonderful drug called modafinil or Okay. that was designed right about that time specifically for excessive daytime sleepiness. It's not a nerve stimulant like coffee. It's a brain stimulant. It just makes you think. It clears your mind and makes you more awake. Gotcha. And so I take that. I take 150 milligrams of Wellbutrin. And by the way, I, I, I resisted medication for decades.
0: Yes, I want to talk about that as well. I think that's important.
1: Yeah, and and, and I, you know, because and there's a there's a there's a pharmaceutical bias, you know. Uh, of course, yeah. People, oh no, we would, would never take an antidepressant. Well, you know, it's because you're not depressed. <laughs> you say that, right? Uh, it, got the, it got to the point. I was talking to somebody and. They kept busting my chops about taking the antidepressant, so I made a point of putting. I, I have um, I have a little pocket light Colt thirty eight, uh, three eighty with a uh, hydro shock hollow point, and so I put one of the hollow points in my pocket, and I put a, a well in the other, and so the next time they busted me on it, I said, "Okay, here's your choice." And I pulled my hands out of my pocket, and I had something hidden in each hand, and I said, "You got a choice. You, which one of these are you going to put in your mouth?" And I opened my hand, I had the well in one hand, and I opened my hand, I had the hollow point in the other. I said, it's your, it's your choice. Yeah. Which one would you put in your mouth if you were depressed? And wow. I think they got wow. the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: subtle like a sledgehammer.
1: Yeah. Well, and I told the story this morning, I try to dispel misconceptions about mental illness and depression. Yeah. A lot of people think if you're depressed, you're depressed 24, 7, 365. And that's not true. Even if you're not being medicated, you're not necessarily depressed all the time. I have major depressive disorder cycles. You know, my cycle was two or three days and every so many weeks. So one day I was in San Diego. It was a beautiful day. I was on Coronado Beach. They've got an off leash mm-hmm. dog park off right there by Hotel Dell. It's amazing.
0: Yes, love that. I know that place.
1: Yeah, yeah right between the, between the Navy base and the hotel. Yep. And so I walked the dog. We had a puppy. It's a couple year old German, German Shepherd. She's wonderful. We oh, had a ball. Get back in the car and I'm just wretchedly depressed. And I told the audience this morning look, a lot of depression is not situational. Some of the best times in my life, and that was one of the best times in my life. Money in the bank, bookings, condo paid for, beautiful dog, lovely wife. I was depressed, so I get to the bottom of the Coronado Bridge. I'm about to drive over, so I thought, well, I'll count my blessings on the way up. So I'm counting my blessings going up the hotel, the, you know, the Coronado Bridge. I got to the top. I still wanted to jump, so I thought, you know, I need to take a little something, something. So I discovered something called Sammy S A M dash E. It's yes. kind of funny. Yeah, a lot longer, but Yep. Turns out, they've done some double-blind studies. It's as effective on mild depression as some of the early antidepressants, and the only only two side effects are, it's good for your liver and good for your joints. So, <laughs> yeah, we had a cat with chronic liver failure, and we gave her the kitty cat version of Sammi every morning. So I, I started taking 400 milligrams every morning on an empty stomach, and that that got me by, took the edge off, till I turned 60, and nothing really changed. But my wife said to me, "You're 60." I think it may be time to ask your doctor. So I just had to have a, an appointment with my family physician, as we used to call him, primary care. And he goes, well, tell me about your symptoms. So I said, well, you know, I have, I have what I believe is major depressive disorder. I said, you know, it lasts three days. Uh, and then I said, it recurs, which is, is classic. And I said, and I have chronic suicidality. And he goes, well, explain chronic suicidality. And I, I mentioned this in the first TED Talk. Suicide for me is... Is always on the menu. It's, it's an option as a solution for problems large and small. And I said, My car broke down. I had three thoughts three thoughts. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Or three, I could just kill myself. And that, you know, that's option C just always bubbles up in my head without asking. And my doctor's looking at me. And he goes, Yeah, I think we can do something about that. <laughs> so he prescribed Welbutrin. And uh, I got lucky in that. 150 milligrams, you know, basically a starter dose. And I didn't notice, I noticed it three weeks. My wife actually noticed it two weeks, but didn't say anything. Notice I'd changed. I noticed it three weeks, something was different. And the reason I noticed it was this thought bubbled up into my head unbidden. I like my life. Wow. And I hadn't thought that unbidden since high school. Wow. Yeah. So... You know, it's not. I'm not like giddy, but I. You know, it's enough. I get. I think my low point in the day is always around five o'clock. I Have no idea why, but it gets me over that hump. Because before Wellbutrin, and certainly before Sam E, I could tell you without a watch. I bet it's about four forty-seven. Because <laughs> I can feel myself <laughs> begin to slide. And some days on the Wellbutrin, I don't notice five o'clock has come and gone.
0: Right. Wow, that's huge! That's massive.
1: Well, and and people go, how do I know which antidepressant? And I said, well, I got lucky, and and um, I'm I'm actually Timothy. You don't know this, but on my bucket list when I turned sixty-one, actually, was to do a bodybuilding contest, and and I did it because I was in, I was in the gym every day anyway. And I thought, well, I might as well have a goal. So wow. and once you once you turn sixty, you're in the masters category. And so okay. at twenty, I I could never compete, but at sixty, there aren't that many guys. Everybody else has given up. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I did the contest. I got third place in uh, Masters over forty and fourth place in novice. But wow, I can't remember. I was going to tell you that Jim, bodybuilding. It's it's part of my part of my safe or my uh, what do you call it? Safe care plan is working out.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, I know.
1: Uh, Well, butan does not make you gain weight. That's why I I mentioned it. Okay. They give it, my wife battled two eating disorders for decades. And okay, yeah. she said to me, the nice thing about Wellbutrin, they give it to people with anorexia because you don't want to give an anorexia something that's going to make them gain weight. They'll be really depressed. That's right. So, but people say, how do I know? And I just got an email yesterday from a young woman who saw my fourth TED Talk. She's got chronic suicidality. She's, you know, she's always thinking about suicide. She said, I saw your TED Talk. And she goes, my mom has always asked me what it's like, the evil in my head, the thoughts I'm having. What is it like? And she goes, I've never been able to put it into words. But in the TED Talk that I did, my fourth one called Suicide, The Secret of My Success, I talk about what it's like to have chronic suicidality, what it's like to be mentally ill and, you know, just paste on a smile and, and get up and put one foot in front of the other and pretend like nothing is wrong. So she sent it to her mom. Because she thought I encapsulated it, I'd given right. voice to it. Yeah. And her mom, now her mom has a, a greater understanding of what's happening in her daughter's head. And the reason I mentioned the young woman is as I'm reading through the email, I'm always looking for a couple of things. She goes, I think I have bipolar. So I made a note think you have bipolar? Somebody hasn't got a diagnosis. Right. Um, yeah, I know she she's not in therapy. And then so when I emailed her back, I said, you know, I noticed that you said, you think you have bipolar or do you have a diagnosis? And I said, you didn't mention medication except in passing previous in previous times. Do, are you, do you have medication? Are you on medication? And I said, if you are not, there's now a DNA test, a cheek swab, where you can get a cheek swab DNA test, and they'll do their best to match your DNA to whatever. To, they'll, they'll test it against a long list of psychotropics and find the one that fits your metabolism the best.
0: Exactly. So, yep.
1: so there's a lot less experimentation, lab right you know, go Love on. And we're on going. Yep. <clears throat> but I got lucky. Uh, well, butrin just happened, and that dose, when I saw my doctor again, he goes, do you want me to up the dose? And I go, no, you know, it's just, I mean, I'm not giddy, and I still have down times, but it's just enough to, you know, to like I said, take the sharp edges off. So exercise. And the reason I exercise, by the way, Timothy, and I didn't say this, or maybe you saw in the bio, but I've had two aortic valve replacements, a double yeah. bypass, a heart attack, three stunts, stints. Friend of mine goes, "Let me get this straight. You're suicidal, and you got a heart problem. Why I just have bacon and eggs every morning and wait for nature to run its course?"
0: <laughs> yeah, beautifully said. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, that was why I was in the gym. Is because I take my cardio. I'm like a poster board to my cardiologist. He loves me dearly because you yeah, know yeah. I eat right, I supplement, I you know I I I send him a photograph of the, the bodybuilding contest. Because a lot of his patients come in, they oh yeah,
0: life. no, well, a slew of them aren't doing anything.
1: No, they they call them frequent flyers. They're back three or four years later for another another you know like like some, an automobile maintenance plan.
0: Right, and it's not far off from addiction, and we we don't we don't talk about it in the same way. We don't shame those people who are necessarily struggling with something that's a lifestyle based sort of chronic illness. And there's a lot of people out there who are frequent flyers, like you said. It's it's an interesting thing, isn't it?
1: Yes, and by the way, since you mentioned addiction, yeah, I was on a cruise, and I was talking to a gentleman, and he had gone every cruise on every day. There's a friends of friends of Bill W. Yeah, yeah,
0: meeting every day. Yeah, yep, that's right.
1: And we were talking. He asked me, "What? I, he asked me what I, You know, what do I do besides cruise comedy?'" Everybody always ask. I only do twelve weeks a year on the ships. I go on public speaker, and he asked me, "What? You know, what I talked about?" And he said, Do you know what the connection is between drug and alcohol addiction and suicide? And I said, uh, well, I mean he said, I know there's a connection between mental illness and alcohol and drugs and so forth. He goes, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, What's the connection? I said, I don't know. He goes, ending the pain. That's right. Because when I, I this morning, one of the misconceptions I sought to, although though these were mental health people, so they probably know already, but I said, when Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spain passed away, everybody I know either Facebook messaged me, texted me, phoned me, Mm -hmm. or emailed me, because I think they all got together and said, Frank's suicidal. He'll know what this is all about. (laughs) So I became the national spokesperson for people that are suicidal. One of the questions they always ask is, why did he want to die? And my common response is, look, there's a good chance, better than even chance. He did not want to die. She did not want to die. I didn't want to die. I just wanted to end the pain. That's right. And my friend who goes to the Bill W meetings, that said, Frank, that's what that's what it's all about. It's all about ending the pain. That's right. Thank so you. it's uh so to answer the long answer to your short question, I exercise, I meditate twice a day. It's called the catnapper, it's a guided meditation.
0: I love it. I
1: I I'm on a, as you might imagine, I've got a bodybuilding trainer and i want a particular diet, a particular supplementation, you know, the exercise helps a great deal. Um, it also gives me, it also gives me um, a weight. Uh, it gives me a, an area of my life to achieve in. That's not connected to what I do for a living.
0: Absolutely. Perhaps a big, big, big,
1: big piece of it. I was being terrified. I was far more terrified of standing in my underwear on stage in front of 300 people and doing <laughs> a bodybuilding contest. Right. And I had to dance because you have to go out and you have to do a minute routine, essentially. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I was terrified.
0: Oh my God, the first time must have been just overwhelming.
1: Yeah, now that I know the drill, I won't be so hard the next time. But yeah, it was just, it was, just, it was really, it's an, it was an interesting experience. Um, and I'm, I'm, I I'm, plan to do it the rest of my life because, wow. you know, well, because my goal is to be a master, uh, be a turn pro by the time I'm 65 in the master's category.
0: I mean, you think back in your life, you're like, if anybody had told you at a young age that that's where you would end up, you would have been, you know, you couldn't have predicted it by a mile. There's no
1: way. It was on my bucket list. Cause you know, I grew up in the, in, I'm 62. So I grew up yeah. with the comic books with a guy in the back of the comic book. I remember that. Get yeah. his sand in the, you know, the skinny guy's face. Sure. So I always wanted to do it, but yeah. you know, and there's a, there's a, something that comes. I was talking to somebody else who has a, uh, a, um an illness that could kill you yeah and I so we were talking about it I said you know the benefit that you and I have I said it ever was is we've stared mortality in its face yeah and 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 mortality blinked so we realize that life is finite yes so it changes your perspective yeah absolutely I, I my second surgery um the doctor told me flat out, first thing he said to me was 10% chance you're gonna die. And oh, I they're rolling me down the corridor towards surgery. And I was thinking about that, which has made me a little less suicidal because it's one thing to for ideation. Right. It's another thing to be to be rolling it down the hall and this may be it.
0: Right. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. Right. My second thought was I got a million dollars in life insurance, my wife's gonna be okay. Fortunately, I got a great surgeon, oh 11 That's hours huge. is a long time surgery. I was in ICU. I my, I opened one eye, and I thought, well, son of a gun, I made it this far. You know, I didn't know if I was coming out. I didn't know I was, you know, it's because uh, it, I've been thinking about suicide all my life, and, and all of a sudden, here's a kind of interesting thing. I, I was on the ship, and we were going somewhere in a little shuttle with some passengers. The guy had worked at a mental health facility in the summertime internship. I right. think he was going to medical school. He goes, Frank, you you want to hear an odd story? I go, sure, always. He goes, I was working there, and when you check in, all the, and many of them suicidal or attempted suicide or thinking about suicide, they have you sign a, um, they want to know if you want to sign the do not resuscitate order, the DNR. And he goes, every person who was suicidal, attempted suicide, you know, thoughts of suicide, not one of them would sign (laughs) the do not resuscitate order because I don't know if it's a matter of control. They want to pick the time, place, and method.
0: Yeah, I think so,
1: too. I think. It must be. So um, so, that's, so exercise, uh, what I say is meditation, medication. My next TED Talk, by the way, I'm pitching it right now and I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of uh, committees interested. It's called uh, Mental Health and the Orgasm. Treat Your Depression Single-Handedly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, no. I don't get
1: it. No. Yeah. You know, the uh <laughs> thing about 10X talks is you know, if you can catch their attention and you gotta catch their attention.
0: Yeah, they're they're funneling through a lot of choices.
1: Yeah, and the last line of the pitch is they say laughter's the best medicine. I think it's a distant second. Because <laughs> I've been self-medicating for years. So yeah, I, I'm a big believer in and, and part of my pitch to the committees is is that I'm a big believer some people are some clinicians are strictly pharmaceutical based that's that's what that's true that's it yeah and that's not for everybody some people just like to take the pill and move on but i i think more people appreciate a more holistic approach
0: yeah i absolutely agree with you i absolutely agree with you it's it's how i coach it's how i take care of myself you know the the parts make the whole and what are those parts and how do they all interact and you can't partition it off you can't compartmentalize your environment from your mind from your body to your you know what i mean it's it's we're all in the same water so it's important to look at it from that if you can and it's tough because we are necessarily dealing with our health from a very uh, subjective nature right i mean it's like you said you you sort of Handled it yourself for many many years, and let's talk about that. I want to I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I want to talk about when you were diagnosed, what that what that felt like in that moment, and then I also want you to talk about after that. I want you to talk about depression and work, and and how does a comedy writer write funny? (laughs) Glad
1: you asked. Yeah. Well, in the interest of uh, full disclosure, yeah, I've, I've not been diagnosed by a professional. Okay. Uh, but I I self-diagnosed. Yep. Yep. And in that, there's a lot of reflection looking back going, Oh, and I was in college and my girlfriend was going to another college and I was really depressed. I just wrote it off to being lovesick. Sure. You know, I mean, I got to the point where I practically couldn't swallow.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But, uh, people, when did you ever first thought of suicide? I was driving down highway 163 South in San Diego at about five o'clock in the afternoon. On a rainy day, I just gotten separated, and I'm driving down 163, and I thought I could just kill myself. Yeah, and, and that's the first time I ever had that. Wow. A friend of mine describes it like this: you know, the planes that drag the banners behind them. Yeah, it's like a plane goes across your brain with a banner. Why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? Yeah, yeah. So that that's when I knew I had a problem. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, but then it's cyclical, you know. It is this. It lifted. Well, that's the
0: confusing part, isn't it? I mean. That's a big part of why people m- will make excuses or rationalize and justify, right? Yes. Isn't that how we get stuck? Yeah.
1: Well, and men, men especially, men and, especially, absolutely. And it's not limited to mental health. I, when I'm on the ship, Holland America, I've got, a, I've got. So, if you go, if you go look, go to YouTube. Type in "cardiac comedian," you'll find me. And I talk <laughs> about my, I talk about my aortic valve replacements. Mm-hmm. And I talk to the audience oh. oftentimes. And Holland America, it's older people. Yeah. So I say, you know, and and when I do comedy, I call it comedy and conversation. I bring the lights halfway up. I can see them. They can see me. I love that. I say, who's got, the, who here's had a chest cracked? Oh, really? 800 meat eaters and nobody's had a chest crack?
0: Yeah,
1: just me. Somebody raised uh, a hand. I, yeah. It's usually, usually a guy, sometimes a woman. And I mean, I've had some amazingly funny answers. What'd you have done? Guy goes, I had a bypass. I go, how many bypasses? Says, I don't know. I was asleep. Of course, you were asleep. <laughs> But, but the question Timothy that I always ask is, did you have symptoms? And the, sometimes they don't. I don't, know, don't understand the question. I, right. They go, "No." I go, "Why'd you go see the doctor? Your deductible was covered. You had the day off."
0: <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: Uh, well, shortness of breath. Oh. And yeah, and I go, "Well, how?" And I always ask how long for the, the onset of shortness of breath until you saw your your doctor, and and it can be anywhere from a week to year. Sure. Yeah, the guy with the shortness of breath. I said, "You waited three months." He goes, "Well, it came and went." That's right. It's men. T- women live longer, I believe, because they don't they don't rationalize as much as men do. You know, it's that toxic masculinity they talk about.
0: That's right. That's right. The man rules.
1: Yeah, and and I must admit, I'm I'm guilty. You know, I I resisted. Sure. I knew my my dad died at forty. I knew it was a, it was a heart problem. We didn't know why, but it turned out I had the same bad valve he did. But I resisted it. I mean. And the way a cardiologist, by the way, motivates a husband, you motivate the wife. I've heard that. My cardi- yeah, my cardiologist called my wife at eleven o'clock at night and said, "Do you know where his life insurance policies are?" Yeah, and I, and I had my surgery within a month. Yeah, that's
0: huge. And that's a good that's a good point. Also, you talk about in your uh, in your TED talk about your history and how how important is history when dealing with mental health as well as 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 the physical health that you've mentioned as well. Yeah, oh yeah. Super um, important, right? Yeah.
1: I'm funny because of my mom and dad. I inherited that. After they were both very funny. I, I inherited the cholesterol of the average deep fat fryer from my mom. Right. Along with major depressive disorder and chronic suicide and from my dad, I got the uh, bad heart valve, Right. And by the way, the, my mom's generation, and I mentioned this this morning, they didn't talk about the mental illness. Timothy, everybody in my family is on a psychotropic of one form or another. I said the eyes this morning. There are more nuts in my family than a twenty-five pound bag of squirrel food. <laughs> and but they didn't talk about it, right? And, no, and no. I'll spare your listeners the horror of discovering my my great aunt as my mother and I discovered oh her suicide. Yeah. yeah if you, if you want, if you want to know about it, I don't want to trigger anybody in your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But see, I was never told that that horrible part we're talking about.
0: Yeah.
1: I was told that it was a very serene moment her hands were yeah. folded in prayer she'd obviously done what she wanted to do right and i mentioned that to a cousin of mine in 2012 and he's 10 years older than i and he goes hands folded in prayer and then he <laughs> ran down exactly what happened yeah which i didn't have a conscious memory of until right. that moment and whatever compartmentalization had gone on yep. it disappeared that's right and right. by the way that's that's when i began my journey to Speaker who is funny versus funny speaker because
0: so interesting.
1: Uh, 2014. The problem for me was before the recession, people paid me a lot of money just to be clean and funny. Corporations, yeah. After the recession, they wanted content. They wanted takeaways. They wanted able to's. You know, yeah. our audience will be able to do this after you talk that they couldn't do before they heard you. So I bought a book by a woman named Judy Carter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd been a comic magician, and then one day her Props didn't arrive, so she became a comedian. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: And decided, why am I dragging that stuff all over the country? I can do this without props. And then she did her first corporate gig and she got like four, five times what she would normally get for a night of comedy. And she goes, I'm no math major, but I know I can see how this works.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So she wrote a book called the the, the message of you. Hmm. And the subtitle is the best one of the best subtitles because it's so specific in my mind. Yeah. Subtitle is turn your life into a money-making speaking career. Hello. Yeah. So I got the book and I'm going on Judy's podcast on the our webinar on December 5th.
0: Awesome.
1: Cause I guess I'm one of I'm like the poster, one of the poster children. Yeah. When I started the book, I thought I don't have anything to share with anybody. She calls it a heart story. Something you're passionate yes, about. Something that. organic. Love yes. And I started the book and I thought I've got nothing. And about halfway through, you know, comedians' brains again put things together that don't normally necessarily go together. Yeah. When I read the book, I'm thinking, hold on—that <laughs> I've got a bit of a, you know, a history, um, yeah. a mental health history. Huh. Yeah, looked up the looked up the you know the um, looked up the statistical depression suicide right. top ten occupations, and and realized that I could talk about that, and that would be something that people would want. To hear and could learn from. I coach speakers. I've got a, a speaker friend who's married to a deputy sheriff. And she has a speech called Behind the Badge. And what it's all about is, it's all about the things that she wished someone had told her 20 years ago when she married the deputy sheriff. Yeah. This is what life is going to be like married to law enforcement. Yes. So she doesn't have to she didn't come to me and goes, I, I want to speak. Well, what do you want to speak on? I don't know. Customer service? No. <laughs> it's, it's organic. A buddy of mine, another guy I coach here in town said, how'd you pick your topic? I said, Scott, the topic picked me. There you go. Which makes it all that much easier. Totally. I've got a friend, another coaching client. Uh, she's on scholarship. I met her at a NAMI function. I was keynoting at NAMI in Orange County, California. And she came up, her name is Hafsa. She's a Muslim and a woman and her parents are very conservative and she's got schizoaffective disorder. And she said, I want to be a comedian. And I said, Okay, I'll be happy to coach you. And she did a couple of mics, sent me, sent me video, and and she's very funny. And but you know, she's she's had three attempts and I, I helped to get a TED talk. The last TED talk, the third TED talk I did, they needed talkers. They needed TED talkers. So I drugged four of my friends along. And her topic was relapse is part of recovery, whether it's mental illness or drug and alcohol addiction. She goes, you know, if somebody had just told me when I was 11 that relapse is part of recovery, I would not have felt like such a failure loser each time I relapsed. Yep. If I just known it was part of the cycle, it's just the way it works.
0: Yeah, it's a process,
1: right? Yeah, and but she's a she's a great comic she said, for two and a half years in the business. Watching her on video on stage, it, she's I don't know if it's because of all the self reflection because of the illness. Yeah, but she said, and people talk about finding your voice. I said, Hufza, I just watched twelve minutes of you on stage. You're there. Stop looking. That's right. Because yeah. it's all about her. She goes, my mom's very conservative. She goes, I'm about to turn 30. I'm still single. My mom's from Pakistan, you know, and she's sure I'm never going to get married. And, and um, she doesn't want me to tell any future husband that I have schizoaffective disorder. And she goes, Mom, I can't, I can't not tell him. She goes, Well, my mom said, what when I before I married your father, I did not tell him I had fibromyalgia. <laughs> 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 well, first of all, mom, it was an arranged marriage. The first thing you said to him was, I do. <laughs> and and B, fibromyalgia is a little different than schizoaffective disorder. Just a bit. Yeah. So, and by the way, um, the connection with comedians and depression, I believe, my I'm I'm sorry to keep saying my second TED talk, my third TED talk. Yeah. But but all of them are on mental health. My third TED talk was mental with benefits, the evolutionary advantages of mental illness. And the reason I, the way I came up with it was I would talk to people. And of course, you know, if I told them what I did, we, everybody's got a story, uh, mental health or suicide or depression or whatever. And oftentimes it was an adult who had a child. And the first paragraph about their child would be he's bipolar, he's got ADD, or he's got ADHD or whatever. Second paragraph was always, but he's creative, he's funny, he's smart, he's talented, he's athletic. And I thought there's, there's a pattern here. This is not a coincidence that all these people with a mental illness have all these what amounts to superpowers that their neuronormal peers don't have. By the way, when I said superpowers to my sister, she goes, yeah, we're not the X-Men. We're the (laughs) X-Men. So that became my talk was that I believe if those of us, I believe those of us diagnosed with a mental illness are not living with a genetic mutation, but perhaps an amazing evolutionary adaptation.
0: Yeah, neurodiversity
1: yes and that i believe that my comedic ability timing imagination are all tied into the wiring for my depression and chronic suicidality it's a package right and it's the way i process i tell people i can teach you to write jokes i can teach you to stand up i cannot teach you to process information the way i process it as a comedian and this year, I realized if somebody said, "I hey, went, well, Frank, here's a pill. You take this pill, you'll never be depressed again. You'll never have another suicidal thought. However, you will no longer process the world like a stand-up comedian." And I'd, I'd turn down the pill. I go, "Say, give it to somebody who wants it, because I, 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 I mean, if it got bad enough where I was, you know, at a point where I was going to take my life, I would, I would take the pill, I guess. But, but I'll trade. I'll make the. I'll, I'm willing to live with that trade-off."
0: Well yeah and I think you know what what's interesting about what you're saying is 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 a complex is an issue that a lot of people have and that is I'm struggling with who I am therefore let me look to be someone else as a coping mechanism in other words I reject this I don't think this is right it's unfair why is this happening to me I don't understand it and I'm doing this necessarily in a vacuum there's no talking about it. There's no connection or conversation or collaboration so that you can feel less alone and that you can actually get reflected back to you what you're just saying about yourself, which is that this is, this is what makes me great instead of what makes me sick or weak or, you know, incompetent. You know what I mean? It's like, it's about turning that around and realizing what's happened to me has not been in my way, but it's on my way to creating this beautiful expression of who I am—it's not an accident. It's not happening. It's not happening at you. It's, it's happening for you. Does that make sense?
1: Oh no, it's um, it's the topic of. Uh, it's going to be one of my TED talks. Yeah, I had a, a epiphany. Yeah, because I believe this is—it's you know, people, your your mental illness shouldn't define you. Fine, but it is part of me. Yes. Um. I mean, there's no uh, denying. Absolutely.
0: Yes. No denying. We shouldn't deny it. Yeah, it is me.
1: Well, and on that score, my uh, the working title is "Depression and the Dynamic Sphere." Yes, the, the dynamic sphere. There's a book called Aikido and the Dynamic Sphere. Okay, and Aikido is a martial art. Basically, yes. the the martial art of getting out of the way. And love it. And what you do in Aikido is every technique, rather than a hard martial art where you they punch and you block and strike. Right. In Aikido, you. It's not your opponent, it's your partner. And what you do is they come at you and you blend with their energy. Mm. And the reason they call it a dynamic sphere is all the techniques take you in a circle. Wow. And part of the circle is, at one point in every technique, you're both facing the same direction. So you can both see the world the same way, at which point you can break off, either one of you can break, break off the, you know, the attack or whatever. Right. And then you, if they don't break all the attack, then you lower them to the ground and the idea is nobody gets hurt. So the reason that occurred to me was I'm driving down the road and I used to say oftentimes battle of depression, battle of depression. depression." Yes. I realized, no, here's the problem with battle. Battle implies that I can win. Right. Yeah. You know, I cannot win. I can lose and die by suicide. The best I can hope for is sort of a North Korea, South Korea, you know, uneasy peace. Right. And if I can use the energy, because the depression has a great deal of energy, rather than resisting the depression, if I can harness that energy and you know use it to move forward, you know, blend with the energy, love it, and yeah. go forward. Yeah, and I, the um, probably it. the reason I it all came to mind was as a guy who is a great horseman, he teaches horsemanship. Yes, and he talks about riding the horse. He goes, "You don't ride on the horse; <laughs> you ride with the horse." Yeah. There's an old expression, what's the best way to get a horse to go where you want him to go? Be going where the horse wants to go.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's (laughs) it. My parents are horse people. I totally get it. Yeah. So that's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So you ride with, so I I live, I don't try not to say battle depression. I try to say I live with depression. I live with chronic suicidality because, uh, you know, resisting it takes too much energy.
0: Well, the universal principle of what you resist persists
1: kind of thing. Yes. And you're pushing up again, you're pushing back against it. And and all the other martial arts, you're pushing back, except Aikido, where you blend.
0: I love that. I love that. I've never heard that before, Frank. I love that. I want to read about Aikido just because it really fits into my own narrative of how I deal with my own, uh, my own mental health and, and just... How about just relationships in general? How about relationship to all people, places, and things? Keto is a great is a great way to look at it.
1: Well, and I would recommend a and the dynamic sphere is a great primer. It's not a long book. And by the way, speaking of relationship, when I'm taking a my wife will tell you. She even said this out loud one day. She goes, "You know, when you when you come back from class, you are so hard to argue with, <laughs> because I'm just letting it go by. I'm just i right. yeah." I'm, you you essentially step offline, you step out of the way of the energy and let it well, go I'm by. Picturing,
0: I'm picturing the matrix, you know, I'm picturing, you know, moving from the bullet, how you know that yeah. it felt, right? It's it's. I love that metaphor. I love that <laughs> imagery. I love it.
1: Yeah. I, there's yourself. a
0: there's a great story for me too in the whole Aikido, uh idea, and that is my wife saying to me at one point, like, "You're really terrible at this," and this, that, and the other thing. And I and I said to myself, and this was a big shift for me, and I don't know where it came from. Certainly, a cumulative effect of my own studies and and my own struggle. But I said to her, "You know, you're right. I am not very good at that thing." But At the same time, here's what I am really good at. You know, and she's she's kind of looking at me like like I got three heads. Like, what are you talking about? Like it was a real sort of deflection, like, move that over here, let that energy go that way, come back around, little Tai Chi, move this over here. You know, it's a really incredibly powerful way of dealing with everything. Because we're we're constantly being challenged to 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 cope to this and to cope with that. You know, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, if you don't push back, if you just step aside and, like yeah. I in, in the Matrix, and watch the bullets go by,
0: that's right.
1: And that's why I love Aikido so much, and that's why that. And I've read all. The guy's name is Mark Rashid. Okay. He's got a bunch of books on horsemanship, and he, by the way, he also studies Aikido. Uh, <laughs> He's also a uh, you know a black belt, or whatever a master in Aikido.
0: Yeah,
1: um, it's just an amazing. You're using your opponents energy size weight and with you know i mean and there is a there's some size and weight energy to mental illness if you can you know if you're not completely dysfunctional and you can get your you can get your mind wrapped around using that energy
0: yeah
1: oh and and by the way some of the best jokes i've ever written have been when i've been in you know in a hole emotionally mentally
0: isn't that something
1: because if i can if i can um if i can harness that anger yeah there's energy there yeah And by the way, I I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a class called um, Stand Up for Mental Health.
0: Okay.
1: It's uh, David Grunier out of British Columbia. There's chapters all over the U.S. It's a comedy class. (laughs) You have to have a diagnosis to get in. Wow. You have to have a diagnosis to teach it. So it's part comedy class, part peer counseling. And there's a six or 12 week class. And at the end, you put on a public show. It's almost like every other comedy class I've ever taught where people want to do comedy. So you walk them through and help them build their first five minutes. And then you put a show on for friends, family, and the public at the end. Right. The, the point though, in this class is you put it on for the public in the end because it's a, it's a way to change perceptions yes, okay. about what mental illness looks and sounds like.
0: Yeah. It's beautiful.
1: Love and, that. and you know, public speaking is a, is a fear, a huge fear for many people. Seinfeld had a joke goes, you know, number one fear for most people is, public speaking, number two is death. So that means you'd much rather be the guy in the casket than the one giving the eulogy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So Yes. Yeah, so nice. I'm
1: teaching a class. Wow. And I got to tell you, the, the, the students that I had were the best comedy students I had ever had. I don't know, if, again, if because they're so self-reflective and they spend so much time inside their own heads.
0: I, I think that's it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And they were willing, some of the bravest people I know, they were willing sure. to shine a flashlight into the darkest corners of their psyche to, to, to find material.
0: Well, that not that one of the insights that we, that we get to share with people is that when I am struggling, that not just when I am good, am I brave or when everything is going well, it's when I'm struggling that I'm at my bravest, I'm at, I'm at my strongest.
1: Well, and and I mentioned this morning another misconception. You'll hear somebody say um, they um, took the coward's way out.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one.
1: And I said, you know, neuronormal, neurotypical people, I don't believe have any idea the amount of courage and energy it takes some mornings to get out of bed. That's right. Based on a smile and put one foot in front of the other, walking through the world, not allowing anyone else to know because you don't want to drag them down. That's right. How bad it is, and and the metaphor I've been using, which. I use it in the TED talk on uh, Suicide, the Secret of My Success. Is that here's the deal. I said, Do you guys know Sisyphus, the Greek character Sisyphus? He did something the guys didn't like. He dated Zeus's girlfriend or something. And so they made him roll a rock uphill every day. Right. It would get close to the top, then roll back down. I said, Having a mental illness or an addiction or whatever, it, you wake up every morning and there's always a rock and there's always a hill. Some yeah. days the rock is small and the hill is not so steep. Some day the rock is a boulder and the hill is Kilimanjaro. Right. Yeah. But every day, there's a rock and a hill.
0: There's a rock and a hill. I love that. Not and at the that. end of
1: at the end of that particular TED talk, and now I do this for the majority of my keynotes, I say, look, if you are in crisis, you need to call the suicide crisis lifeline or dial, you know, text the word connect to seven four one seven four one. If you're just struggling and need help, see me after the keynote, and I will do everything in my power to find you the resources to give you the ability to continue moving that rock. Yes, love it. I
0: love that. Now, speaking of that, what are your, what are your thoughts about the current state of, of mental health in terms of our society culturally and socially, and then what are your hopes for the, for the future? based on kind of where we're at just a snapshot of where we're at right now. Cause you're out there and you're, you're talking to behavioral health people. You're, you're speaking with corporations who are obviously being affected by this. Talk a little bit about that. Well,
1: I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, the entire U S healthcare system is a wreck. Yes. Um, we're spending way too much money for, for outcomes that are not near as good as other countries. that spend far less money. And, uh, you know, for all its faults, um, yeah obamacare did a number of things uh eliminated pre-existing conditions thank the lord yeah Uh, by the way when i was so depressed and suicidal i did not want to go see a psychologist for my six visits get this because i already had three pre-existing conditions and i didn't want another one
0: right i mean how sick is that
1: so uh but you know obamacare the goal is parity between mental and physical health everything's paid 80 20 exactly Instead of six visits to a psychologist. So that, that's a start. Yeah, that's a start. I, I believe there should be beds on demand. Love it. If you have, yeah. Um, especially for veterans. You shouldn't have to wait 12 weeks.
0: Free health care for life for all veterans.
1: Yes, exactly. Bed on demand. Yep. Bed on demand, yes. And um, the, a friend of mine named Leon took over the, I don't I can't remember what county San Antonio is in, but it's a big county. Took over the mental health, whatever, in there are $7 million in the red. They were getting ready to build another jail because of what they were doing with mentally ill people and crisis was dragging them to the jail. Sure. And so they had to build they're getting ready to build another jail. So when he came in, he said, Look, this has got to stop. Got all the officers, both sheriffs and police trained in crisis intervention, you know, CIT. So they could, when, when they roll up on a scene, is it a crime or a crisis? Crime, take them to jail. Crisis now. Do we determine? We determine, are they sober? Are they, are they intoxicated? So, if they're sober in the crisis, take them here. They're intoxicated in crisis, take them here. If right. they're a teenager, here. Yep. So he was able to uh, cut the youth home youth homeless rate on the streets from like whatever it was, cut it down by almost a third. I well, his. got to
0: remember age. reading about this,
1: honestly. He goes, yeah. He goes, around, he goes around the country electric on it now.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah
1: I and, and they did not have to build the extra jail.
0: That's right. Yep. So it's thoughtful and considerate process based on the situation. Instead of everybody being reactive, we're getting out in front of it and creating a proactive process by which we can deal with people instead of throwing them all in the same, in the same tank, put them all on the same level.
1: Yeah. And with training, cause you know, you and you yeah. know, I both know that with addiction yeah. and with mental illness, oftentimes the first respond the cops are the first line that's of right. mental health treatment or whatever.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So that would say that, yeah, I would say, um, that it should be, yeah. And you, you know, single payer healthcare would be a big step in that direction. I think so. Yep. Uh, or just give me a public option. I don't care if Blue Cross continues to exist. I just want Medicare for everybody. Yeah. You know, if you, if you want a public if you want a public option, that's your choice. If you want to be Blue Cross Cadillac plan, fine. Yep. But give me an option. For
0: good give stuff. me an option. Yep. Options yep. are good.
1: We also need to train far more mental health professionals.
0: 55 55 I don't know if you know about this now, but 55% of US counties do not have a behavioral health worker and 70% of those counties are are dying begging for some kind of help.
1: Well, eight counties in Oregon have none. And in Eugene and Lane County for some strange reason, nobody can figure it out the suicide rate is 40% higher than the national average. The reason I got started, the reason I did the talk this morning in the is because of my mental with benefits. I said to, I did that, that speech for the Rotary one. I think I did the TED talk, came home and the Rotary goes, our speaker bailed out, can you come in tomorrow? Sure, if I can do my TED talk. Great, right. so I went in, I did the mental with benefits. And it's really for kids, it's really to change the frame for children. You're not, yes, you have a mental you know illness, but you also have this mental able, this amazing set of superpowers. If we could reframe it for them and for their peers, we could reduce stigma and bullying, and I said, now I know you guys are wondering. So, we have, what's the application today? I said, well, here's the application the IEP, the Individual Education Plan. Don't take a child with dyslexia and force them into the STEM curriculum, science, That's technology, it. education, mathematics, because you got correct. numbers of letters all over the page that are moving around. That's right. Arts, humanities. Um, and if you've got a kid with OCD, a friend of mine on the boats, the guy taught music in high school. And he said, Frank, some of my best students had ADD, but the problem was, I could strap them in the chair and force them to sit for 50 minutes. (laughs) First 10 minutes, they got better. Next 40 minutes, no progress. He goes, so I bought an egg timer. I set it for 10 minutes. I said, all right, practice your scales for 10 minutes. Ding. Okay, now practice your breathing for 10 minutes. Ding. Okay, now practice a piece. You're going to be performing at the concert on Saturday for 10 minutes. Ding. He said the the progress they made, because they knew they were not going to be stuck doing the same thing for Uh, 50 minutes. He said it was amazing. Beautiful. So it's not just a curriculum, it's the teaching method.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the teaching method based on who the person actually is.
1: Yes, treat <laughs> their mental illness or whatever it is and embrace their mental ableness and That's then right. point them in a direction to a career that rewards. I said, if you got a child with OCD, suggest to him or her they might want to be an accountant because <laughs> those firms will pay big money for precision and attention to detail. Yes. I said, that's the real world message in this whole thing. And by the way, the evolutionary element is that I believe what were survival skills for cavemen and women have become handicaps for, for us now. Right. For example, anthropologists believe that cavemen and women were pretty much all manic, depressive, all you know, bipolar, because you had four months in the summer to gather and hunt and reproduce for eight months in the winter so they were manic they were manic hunters and gatherers and and they were hypersexual because you have to keep the numbers in the tribe up so you got a lot of kids and then when fall came around nights grow colder days grow shorter they were slipping into the depressive phase and they just hunker down for the winter bear and keep the children alive till spring so it was a it was a survival skill now think about this you have got four months To gather all this stuff, and then you got to make it last. You got to figure out how to stretch it out for eight months. Who better to be your quartermaster and figure out how to make this last for eight months than somebody with OCD who is compulsively organized? (laughs) So so there's the there's a survival skill, and my favorite is ADD. You know, we make fun of kids nowadays. ADD. Squirrel. That's right. That's funny now, but back then it was
0: Velociraptor. That's that's an
1: important survival skill. That's an important. That's exactly right. So we, we've dragged these conditions into this, you know, this century. Yeah. There were at a time, there was, there were, the whole point of think was there was a time when they, there's a reason these things persist. And by the way, you know, the mental illness, mental ableness, there are, one of the things that, that got me started on that was my physician, because I mentioned to my physician, he goes, well, Frank, there are physical adaptations, genetic adaptations like that. I go, well, tell me one. He goes, okay. In the tropics, where malaria is a big deal, something else is um, something else occurs there more than in, in any other, you know, climate region in the world. And I said, "What is it?" And he goes, "It's sickle cell anemia,"
0: hmm.
1: because you, if you have sickle cell anemia, and you would never wish it on anyone, but if you have it, you cannot get malaria.
0: <laughs> wow! The body
1: has made an, uh, an adaptation, yeah. genetic adaptation, because the uh, whatever it is the normally penetrates the, the malaria, penetrates the blood cell. And if you have sickle cell, it cannot penetrate the sickle cell. Wow. So there are physical and mental adaptations over time. So anyway, probably more than you ever wanted to know. Um...
0: <laughs> I was not expecting that. I have to be honest with you. I was not expecting that to come up. But I, But I, But I, what I love about what you're saying is that one of the greatest assets that we have as humans as a species, is that we're adaptable. Yes. And, and that couldn't be more of an opportunity, regardless of what has happened to you that is not your fault, that has happened genetically, epigenetically, or whatever. And here you are feeling, because of the social stigma, because of the, because of the outside influence or the outside perceptions, that all of a sudden you're really sort of odd man out. Sorry, too bad. Too bad for you. And, and yet the truth of it is, is the truth that you speak uh, at a public level and at a personal level with people you get close to, is that what you're really looking at is an amazing opportunity. It's just that whole balance. It's like the balance of malaria and sickle cell anemia. There's the balance of, here's what feels like or you're perceiving as a sentence when it really is an opportunity.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, I don't know. I recently, I said, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I believe I have a little... Uh, Add because I was the class clown. Most comics were.
0: Yeah,
1: I said no, and, and nobody ever heard of Add. My only diagnosis was he's got ants in his pants. There you go. And there was no Ritalin, thank God, because I would have spent most of my school years <laughs> face down in a pool of my own <laughs> saliva on my deaths. <laughs> you know, yeah. because they just would drug you. It worries me. I thought about writing a book called uh, "Ritalin Killed the Class Clown." I'm right. afraid they're drugging comedians out of existence. I'm telling you. But but again, it's a matter of embracing that. I met a guy. I was doing a training on. I speak on suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue. Yeah. For HR people, basically. And there's a guy there. He's got a son named Mason. Mason's five, and he's and he's autistic. And I said, "Well, you know, does Mason have any particular skills?" And he goes, "Well, you know, we 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 joined a swim club. Mason's five. It took Mason about ten days to teach himself to swim the Australian crawl and breathe on both sides." Wow. What? Because I taught myself to breathe on both sides during the crawl, and it's not easy because your brain doesn't work. You know, you usually have a dominant side. Right. I said, Well, anything else? He goes, Yeah, he's, on land, he's lightning fast. He said, We took him to the Special Olympics, and all the kids are lined up for the 100 yard dash. The gun goes off, everybody else takes off. Mason's standing there looking around, like, What? What? So he said, It was like, it was like Forrest Gump, run. So Mason <laughs> takes off running, 20 yard head start, the kids had. He caught them all and passed them and won the race. I said, well, here's my advice. Obviously, that's his talent, athleticism, either a land or in a war. Uh, I would encourage him, if swimming is what he loves, you can't get him out of the pool, let him stay in the pool. You know, or, or football it is, soccer, whatever it is, let him do it. Because I believe when it comes time with his peers, yeah, Mason's a little weird, but if you're picking up sides for a football game and you need a lightning-fast wide receiver, you know, <laughs> I know he's weird. Trust me on this. Pick him. Yeah. It would reduce the stigma because even though he's weird, he's got this, you know, this thing, this superpower.
0: Yes. Well, that reminds me of a great story. I want to tie this together with the superpower piece because I think, again, that's the idea of pointing out the strengths and asset-based development outlook for all people is to focus on assets first. And so a friend of mine used to work at MGM years ago. and As you know, recently Stan Lee passed away. And he used to ride the elevator with him. And one day, and, and he was a young kid, he didn't know Stan Lee from, you know, Bruce Lee. And so,
1: <laughs> 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 right?
0: and, so and so, he's standing there in the elevator one more time with this guy who, who has this particular look and he's curious. And and so Stan turns to him and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says to this kid, Scott, my friend, he goes, I bet you didn't know that you have an inner superpower, did you? And just walked off the elevator. Whoa! Right? And I thought to myself, this was two days ago when he posted this on Facebook, and I thought, to my, I thought to myself, wow, so perfect that it's the one thing that we don't recognize is that each of us has something that we do that's special and different from anyone else, regardless of how we perceive it from the outside looking in, that makes us who we are, you know? And, and I think there couldn't be a stronger message for this audience, people in general, that the things that have happened to you are definitely and have been definitely on your way and not in your way to create this special, you know, person, this person. Be yourself, everyone else has already taken. And that's a tough thing to do in our society because we're, we're up against necessarily this conspiracy of self, you know? And, and I think it's really important, especially to people who are struggling with depression, suicidality, addiction, anything that, that really is uh, has a lot going against it. And that's people who necessarily don't understand it, have a certain amount of ignorance, have already decided what it is and what it means. That we continue to to sing the praises, to sing the strengths uh, of these of of people like ourselves and people who are even even on on a greater scale or on the spectrum struggling even more on how they have something to offer.
1: And that's where what I would like to do, and I'm 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 still waiting, is to get into the middle and high schools because they get, they get suicide prevention training and they talk about depression and anxiety. But, but every educator I've talked to who's heard me speak on this topic goes, Frank, I've never heard anybody say anything positive (laughs) about, because I'd like to go in. I'd like to validate their, the feelings they're having, you know, if you're depressed, this is the anxiety. If you have ADD, those are real things. Totally honor it. Yep. And that's your that's your mental disability. But here's the good news, kiddos: <laughs> you have uh, mental abilities, superpowers, as it were, beyond the, your your neuronal, neural peers normal Pearson around here can only dream of. And and. Uh, superheroes I realize almost always have a an issue Superman I'm sure that's exactly right Superman was shot into space before the planet blew up and his parents were killed do you think he's got a little separation anxiety <laughs> attachment wound anybody yeah and yeah. Batman saw his parents gunned down yeah. he's like 8 oh. years old a little PTSD right. yeah there's a great moment in the movie Electro with Jennifer Garner I just happened to be watching it on a plane it's the only movie I hadn't seen I'm not really a big you know <laughs> alright fine
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Her protege is in this room, and she's coming. You can hear Jennifer Garner coming. And Jennifer Garner walks into the room. She's been walking down a wooden sidewalk because it's up in the Himalayas or something. Right. And uh, the protege says to her, oh, a little OCD? And Jennifer Garner's character goes, I don't have OCD. She goes, really? That wasn't you? I heard counting your steps on the way down here. (laughs) And when I I talk to kids, I encourage them to find an avatar. Mine is the – I took the Incredible Hulk. I changed him to blue. And I had a friend of mine who's an artist create a character called the incredible Sulk. <laughs> uh, you know, he was all muscled up, but his lip's sticking way out, his lower uh, lip sticking way yes,
0: out. Yes, yeah.
1: And I encourage them to either create one or find a superhero that has something. If you have to have OCD, then Electro would be a great, you know, um, superhero for you.
0: Right, exactly.
1: The, again, we are trying to wow. reinforce the superhero, um, superhero idea. Uh, by the way, the, the comics of the Santa for Mental Health. If you're listening to this and and you you have a mental illness, and you'd like to do stand up wrapped around that mental illness. Look, to see if they're in a chapter in your town. Absolutely it, it doesn't cost much, and it's you know it's and there were again there were some of the best students I, I had. I had a, the stuff that came out of their mouths what, without any editing was ready for prime time.
0: Amazing! It, it's because it's the hard story, right? I mean, that's got to be it. At, at yeah. the essence, you're you're speaking from such a truth; it's undeniable.
1: Yeah, because there's no. There's no, you know, what am I going to write about today? Right. So I'll give you two of my favorites. One was um, uh, Tish. She came in. She goes, um, you know, last night my boyfriend said he wanted to break up with me. And I asked him why. He said, because I want to see other people. So I said to him, I'm bipolar. Give me a
0: minute. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
1: That's beautiful. That's the way she wrote it. And she probably didn't even write it down. I just came out of her mouth. Oh, here's, here's, this is really dark. I'll warn you right up front. It's really dark. Um, okay. Camille is a okay. nice a horrible backstory. But that's the nice thing about this class is it's, it's you know, there's this, there's not really official confidentiality, but there are no normal people in the room to judge. Sure. So Camille says, yeah, I want to see my psychiatrist. Yes. Well, I was depressed. I said, yes. She goes, uh, thoughts of suicide? Yes. Do you have a plan? She goes, I've got five plans. Oh. Uh, Oh, five plans. Wow. She goes, yeah. Do you want to hear them all or just the ones that involve you? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's dark, but I got to tell you, as a, as a writer, a comedy wow. writer, there's not a syllable in that joke that doesn't move the narrative forward.
0: Wow. I'm telling you what. That okay. is powerful.
1: Can I tell you a story, a similar story? Um, Every now and then, I like to screw around with normal people. So, <laughs> I'm in Sacramento. I'm doing a training, suicide prevention, you know, workplace health and safety issue. And I'm getting, I'm catching the Uber back to the airport. And the Uber guy's really nice young guy, you know, kind of bounces out of the car. And he goes, hey, man, how are you doing? I go, well, I'm, I'm suicidal. And he stops. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And we get in the car. And he goes, I just, what am I supposed to say to that? <laughs> I go, do, you really, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah. I go, you're supposed to ask me, do you have a plan? So he goes, okay we're driving. He goes, do you have a plan? And there's a short pause. And then he says, and does it involve Uber?
0: Oh, come on. Brilliant. Wow.
1: Yeah. I just, I said, you know, man, there are comedians who don't think that fast. I'm
0: telling you, I'm telling you. And, 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 and on that note, you know, the future is, I think in good hands, knowing you're out there and you're willing to, you know, use the healing properties of humor, because I believe that's true Uh, been true for me. It's not lost on me that there's healing in humor. And, and thank you for, for all that you do out there. And on a moment's notice, agreeing to (laughs) to this podcast, I really do appreciate that. And I know you've been asked before, so it is in your character. And I appreciate that part of your character. It's, it's very, very, uh, it's very humbling and I appreciate it. And I want to thank you so much for, again, what you do and how you help those who struggle um, with depression and and their loved ones. It's so important that we've got people out there doing that to change perceptions is, is huge because that's going it, to it'll go to the bottom line, ultimately, Frank, and helping other people. And that's that's really what this is all about. And uh, so thanks for doing this. Really appreciate.
1: And to that point, I always, I my comedy was, that's how I make my living and it makes me happy. But I never, I couldn't figure out for years how I could do that and make a difference. And then when I read Judy's book, The Message of you, and realized, oh, hello, I can make a living and a difference.
0: Is there any more lethal combination? Than that? <laughs>
1: no, that's uh, saving lives. No, whoa.
0: I really don't. And also thank you all for listening. Please reach out to, to myself or Frank. I'm going to provide you with all the links. Um, to both of us uh, so if you have any questions about mental health resources there are a lot out there we, we can't know them all so keep looking um there's a lot a lot of help out there and uh again frank thanks so much i really really appreciate your time thanks yeah
1: we up. will do whatever we can to, to make sure that when you wake up in the morning you can move that rock love it love it thanks so much yeah man
0: frank thank you so much for getting on the bus And how you tirelessly advocate for those who have addiction and mental injuries. It's truly awesome. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Eating Recovery Center. And a big thank you to all you listeners for joining us. We really appreciate it. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And please reach out to Frank or myself if you have any questions about addiction and or mental health resources or just any question at all, our details will be available in the show notes. Remember to follow Wide Wonder on Facebook and Instagram as well as YouTube. Our journey around the country continues and you can follow us and the events we'll be having at www.widewonder.life. Also, please leave me an iTunes review. Until next time, I'll leave you with a favorite Chinese proverb. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody.